Hello, and welcome to episode 194 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Andre Fratino, writer of Tokyo Rose and Welcome to Dreamville. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Andre, thanks so much for, for coming back on the podcast and, and talking to us again. Um, could you give us a quick bio about yourself and then the, the elevator pitches for both Tokyo Rose and Welcome to Dreamville? Sure, guys. Well, third, first, thanks, Noah and Matt, for having me on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure last time. Uh, I think last time I was doing the show from, you know, sunny Key West, but this time uh, I'm just doing it from the, my backyard. So it's a little <laughs> different, but hopefully we'll have a good time. So uh, my background, I'm Andre Fertino. I am a uh, graphic novelist, and uh, I have been doing graphic novels professionally for almost uh, about 12 years now. I've uh, been a storyteller much longer than that. And uh, I was the Florida Book Award winner in 2018, uh, published, uh, first did a Kickstarter, and then successfully had uh, published uh, my, first graphic, uh, my first Kickstarter graphic novel, Sign and Says, which came out through Image in 2019 before the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I'm fast at work on a number of projects. I kind of gravitate towards writing and illustrating graphic novels that have sort of a twist with history and uh, talk about little known stories or lesser known stories or even fun legendary stories that people want to hear from a different perspective. So I'm doing a, a graphic novel. I, I successfully did a Kickstarter graphic novel with Kate Casanel. She's a phenomenal artist called Tokyo Rose Zero Hour. And that graphic novel is about the true story of Aiba Tagori. She was a Japanese American woman who escaped Japan, or didn't escape, but uh, was uh, trapped in Japan during World War II. And she had to essentially fight to make a living as a radio propagandist. Uh, she kind of sabotaged the radio shows along with the help of some other uh, you know, prisoners of war. And, uh, you know, her, her efforts were to help the Americans from behind the scenes, but she ended up being uh, tried as a traitor following World War II. So it's a really interesting story about survival and patriotism. And uh, I'm also now fast at work on my next graphic novel, which is called Welcome to Dreamville. It's about the, uh, the early days of Tom Petty, the rock star, um, how he became Tom Petty and uh, the road to stardom. Very cool. Yeah. So the last time we talked, uh, you were in the, I think, in the midst of your your Kickstarter for, for Tokyo Rose. So it's good to catch up. Um, so you, you gave us the bio, I'm sorry, you gave us the elevator pitch for, for Tokyo Rose. Um, do you want to catch us up on anything that, that's happened since the Kickstarter? Yeah. So we successfully Kickstarted at uh, roughly $8,000. Um, and uh, what we did is we put together um, what I think to be a beautiful book. Um, it was about 88 pages, uh, all black and white tonal, uh, done by Kate. We did that mostly for, you know, the reasons that, um, you know, pricing out for color is pretty hard. But I also think it was great to do tonally because it really kind of, um, kind of calls back to those old uh, wartime Bond uh mini shows they would do. They actually used to do in theaters and broadcasts way to, ways to build war bonds and ways to support the, uh, the military efforts in, uh, in the Pacific and Atlantic theaters. Uh, and they would do them, you know, Tokyo Rose was actually uh, featured in one of those. So um, we did a beautiful book. We, we printed through a uh, printer out in Florida called Kablam. 
Um, if you guys are looking to get anything printed, I can't speak highly enough about them. They worked really close with us. They're a, a printing company that focuses specifically on printing comics and graphic novels. So they did a beautiful job with that. We um, just finished sending out to all of our backers. Uh, the process was a little different from my previous graphic novel. We actually worked with a um, sensitivity committee who uh, comprised of uh, you know, Asian American uh, readers, uh, people who actually have a flair towards the arts and um, you know, read it to make sure that we were both culturally and uh, you know, historically sensitive to the times. Uh, for Asian Americans, uh, World War II was a very volatile experience, I think, to say the least, um, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that we were mindful of, you know, of everyone, and especially the Asian American community. So we had a, a whole uh, committee put together to read the script um, and give us back feedback. Uh, they were unanimous in their praise for how we handled it. Um, neither Kate or I come from Asian uh, descent. So uh, it was really important to us that we were mindful of that. Um, but yeah, we've been marketing it around now for full publication and uh, we are on the cusp of hopefully being published within this next year. Very nice. And so I, I have a question for you as far as like, you know, taking this and, and looking for, for a publisher. How, do, how receptive do, you, do the publishers um, or are the publishers to something that you've, you've kickstarted um, prior to that? Is there any sort of like uh, uh, advantages or disadvantages to, to kickstarting a book and then, and then taking it to, to a publisher? I think that from my experience, I, I think that kickstarting a book can be a real boom for you as, a, as an artist or a writer and a creator. Um, the way that I see it and the way that I, I think that a lot of publishers see it too, I can't speak for every publisher or really any publisher, but the way that I think a lot of them see it is that it's a testing ground. So if you can put a graphic novel up um, on Kickstarter and make it successful and see it to fruition, um, you're telling a publisher and an editor a lot uh, about yourself as um, somebody who is motivated, somebody who is a professional, uh, you know, and then somebody who has built a following. Uh, so if you have 10,000 or 1,000 or even just 500 or 400 or 200 people who are backing your project, it's showing that there is an interest in the work that you're doing. And then if you're successful in what you develop, it's showing a publisher, okay, this might be somebody we can work with who's going to know the value and commitment that needs to be put into these projects. And I think that it really kind of opens a lot of doors. When Simon Says was successful, we had at least two or three publishers banging down our doors asking us, hey, um, we're interested. Um, and again, I think I might be exaggerating. Banging down the door might be a bit of an overstatement. I don't want to make it out to sound like we were the cool kids on the block and everyone loved us, but uh, we definitely had interest. And it was, a, it was a refreshing experience to have an editor call you up and be like, hey, we like your project. What are your plans? Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think, you know, the, the points you made about, you know, showing the seriousness, showing the ability to finish, showing the ability to craft a story, um, and you, you sort of, you're, you're learning all of the aspects, which will probably make it a lot easier for you to um, work with a publisher, or if a publisher comes to you and sees the Kickstarter that you've done, and maybe by chance they think they have something that's a that's a fit for you they, they've seen your voice they they sort of know that some of that 
uh, groundwork has sort of already been laid and it, hopefully it's an easier process. Right. That's how I think it is. And, you know, uh, you know, speaking of, of running a Kickstarter, I think there was a guy who ran a Kickstarter and recently, I think it was his first one and got a Netflix deal out of it. So it, it's entirely possible. Mm. I'm just yeah, joking. Yeah. That was the uh, that was the Keanu Reeves uh, Kickstarter. Oh, that's right. I heard. <laughs> well, you know, it helps when you have Keanu Reeves in your corner. You know, give me. I mean, come on. Like, you know, if you have Keanu Reeves being like, "Yeah, I want to make this book, this TV show with him," like, sure. Like, who's going to turn that down? So. Sure, sure. So um, that book, you know, you, you worked on it. Uh, did you say you worked on it? Uh, well, I, I know when you worked on it, it was sort of pre-COVID um, times. Yeah. Um, do you find that when you're looking for publishers, it, I, I guess it could be one of two things. It could be a publisher is sort of pulling back and not um, taking a chance on as many new projects, just sort of feeling out this 2020, 2021 post-COVID sort of marketplace, or they could be sort of hungry for new, um, new stories and new um, you know, things to add to their publishing line. Uh, what do you think it is, or is it a combination of the two? I, I think it's a combination of the two, you know? Um, I think that publishers are definitely being more cautious about what they pick up right now because, uh, you know, uh, money is tight for everyone. I mean, the pandemic has hit everyone hard um, from the top down and the down top. So, um, you know, uh, I think that there is a cautiousness to what they pick up. I think there's also, you know, we're talking about some pretty uh, pretty shaky times in a lot of app, uh, platforms. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, yes, cautiousness, definitely. Um, as far as new, um, you know, eagerness, I think there is a renewed eagerness. Uh, one thing that has kept me motivated through the pandemic is the fear that other people are also equally motivated during this pandemic. And I think that you're gonna see in the next six months to a year to three years, um, the real fruits of isolation <laughs> for people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I guess now that I'm stuck in my house, I'm going to write that great space opera that's going to blow Star Wars out of the water. So I definitely think that, um, you know, uh, they're keeping an eye out for sure because something's going to uh, come along here that's going to, um, you know, change up the scene a little bit. But uh, I definitely think that they are... Um, uh, buttoning up the, the the pockets just a little bit to make sure that you know they have uh, the nuts to keep them through the winter. I'm using that's a very good out. point. I never really thought of it that way. No, but that's a uh, that's a very good observation of uh, how everything sort of went down. Um, the last time uh, we had you on, you were on with your 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 Kickstarter partner. Are, are you working with him on this next one um, for this yeah, next Andrew Kickstarter Burkett. as well? Yeah, Andrew Burkett. No, um, I'm not working on it. I mean, he helped me with Tokyo Rose and it was great to have his uh, expertise and his, um, you know, consulting on that project. We, I am not necessarily kickstarting um, anytime soon. I've got a couple of projects in mind that I think would be great for Kickstarter, but I'm also right now juggling three projects that are at various levels and they're not quite ready or not quite a fit for Kickstarter. Um, so, uh, you know, in that instance, uh, when the time's right, we'll, we'll definitely collaborate together again. But for now, uh, I'm trying to, you know, feel, feel out some other routes other than the Kickstarter route. That's great. That's great. And, uh, that kind of goes along with sort of what we'd been talking about with trying to find a publisher then. Um, 
so uh with uh with your new book um you know with the tom petty angle of it what what so is that is that just drawn from your just like long time love of tom petty or was it something where like you were reading a book and you were like oh wow this would make a great comic uh, uh well what, what was the inception of that idea so the inception of that came from hanging out at a bar in downtown gainesville florida so uh, just to set the stage i live in savannah georgia now i've been here on and off for about 16 years uh, but I still have close ties to my hometown. And uh, there was a little bar downtown called The Midnight. And a friend of mine, she's pretty connected with everybody in the scene in Gainesville, uh, introduced me to a guy named Jason Hedges, who is the lead singer of uh, Tom Petty's cover band called Heavy Petty. And uh, he uh, can be attributed with the development of what's called the Tom Petty Birthday Bash which is a tribute music festival, downtown music festival in Gainesville, that's free, um, that pretty much pays uh, tribute to Tom Petty. Uh, ever since he died, you know, they'll get, you know, musicians from all over the country to kind of come and, you know, do a little bit of their own music, but do a lot of covers for Tom Petty. And, uh, you know, he's gotten the support of uh, Tom Petty's family on this project. Um, and while we were at the bar, he was telling me, uh, you know, hey, man, we would love to have maybe, you know, I heard you're a comic book artist. Maybe you can do a Tom Petty comic. And I knew enough about Tom Petty. I mean, like I'd sang some of his music at karaoke and I knew that he was, you know, who he was and, and what he was to Gainesville. But I really wasn't a huge fan. And I said, yeah, man, that would be great. I'd be willing to give Tom Petty a shot as a comic. And I said, when do you need a buy? And he goes, oh, man, we're going to have the festival in two weeks. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do yeah. You guys know, like I couldn't even do a 15 page comic in two weeks that would be worth anything. So couldn't even write one in that time. That's right. like, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. So I told, I was like, I don't think this is going to happen this year. I was like, but let me know for next year. And um, more I thought about it, I kind of was like, man, maybe, maybe do a Tom Petty graphic novel. So uh, my first thing was I, I read, um, I read Tom Petty's biography by Warren Zanes um, called Petty. Uh, and it is, kind of the uh, quintessential biography for Tom Petty. And I had never read any music biographies before. Um, and I really fell in love with it. Uh, Warren's way of narrating um, uh, Tom's life was really intriguing. And there was a lot of parallels that I saw to, not necessarily trying to compare myself to Tom Petty, but I think there's a lot you can compare Tom Petty to any of us with a creative uh, mindset. You know, anybody who's like, I want to be something bigger than I am. I want to work on something for the love of the art of what I do. That was Tom Petty. Um, he wasn't in the music industry to be a rock star per se. He was in the music industry to get paid and to be a musician and, and really for the love of the music. So a lot of people always said he was like the workman's uh, musician um, and stardom kind of just came naturally to him, but it wasn't his driving force. So when I read the biography, I was like, wow, this is really good. It's topical. People are going to feel connected to this. And, uh, you know, I bounced the idea around with uh, Jason. Uh, I kind of chatted with a few different people. And uh, next thing I know, uh, we managed to get a publisher before the book was even really um, penned out. And uh, yeah, the rest is, is essentially history in the making. So um, I'm about 75% of the way done with the, uh, the line art for the book. Um, and this will be my first graphic novel that I get to illustrate that will be in uh, full color. 
So uh, I'm super stoked about that. And uh, we're going to be publishing with the University Press of Florida, which is also based out of Gainesville. So it's really hometown roots, um, you know, with a real uh, local organic flair to it. And we're just going to be focusing on Tom Petty's early years, uh, the years before he became famous. Um, those are the years I think are the most relatable to everyone because it's about the, you know, the pitfalls and successes that we all experience as artists um, and how, um, you know, that culminates to us really finding success in the most unusual and unexpected ways. That's so cool. And um, from an illustration standpoint, uh, how are you approaching sort of the musical elements visually? Uh, did you find that that was sort of something cool to stretch your creative muscles with as to how to draw, you know, you know, basically music without it just seeming like, you know, like, you know, it, it being a mostly silent medium, how do you, I guess, tackle sound in, in your illustrations? Right. Well, um, you know, the, it depends on the scene. So I'm kind of, oh, that's a really good question. So I've kind of gone back and forth about how I want to play the music into it um, narratively. So uh, there's actually a, a great other book called Conversations with Petty, um, which uh, was uh, a discussion series about what, what Tom about his life. And in that, um, that book, it's touched on some of the inspirations for the famous Tom Petty songs. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, some of them were written after his success, you know, some of them written in LA. Some people, Floridians and Gainesvillians specifically love to think that every song uh, that Tom Petty has put out is somehow connected to Gainesville. And that's not necessarily the case. So I can't historically add every single one of these songs into our origin narrative because some of these songs were never even thought of um, during that time. But the way I'm trying to visualize it is, um, you know, maybe like in a cheeky fashion, like maybe a phrase or a lyric is added into a dialogue bubble um, in one instance, but then in other instances where inspiration was directly taken from an experience he had as a child or a teenager, um, those are actually being visually drawn out. So there's um, a song that Tom's famous for, it's uh, Even the Losers. And in that song is one of my most favorite illustrations I've drawn for the book yet. But he uh, essentially says in the lyric is two cars parked over an, on an overpass. Uh, rock, skip on uh, rock skip the water like broken glass. And that calls back to a time when Tom was with a bunch of friends hanging out by the still unconstructed I-75 in Gainesville, Florida. And, uh, you know, an experience that he had rekindling an old relationship with a girl. So we did visually put that, I say we, I, visually illustrated that out because in that instance, there is a little bit of truth to that experience. But in the other instances where I know people wanna see free falling somewhere up here in this book, you know, that might be a, a call by dialogue or that might be a call through a dream sequence. I don't know, I haven't really figured that all out yet. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, yeah, that's, that's a great use of the lyrics in, in the visuals there. And that makes so much sense. Yeah, it was my favorite panel so far. That's so cool. So some of your other projects, uh, the Simon Says or the Tokyo Rose, you work with somebody to, to do the art. 
but on this project you're you're doing the art how does that change your your scripting like uh are you able to be a little bit uh uh, you know, more vague with your script and your sort of, you know, you read those Tom Petty books and you're like, okay, this is what I want to accomplish on this page. And then maybe you're, you're, you're figuring it out with, uh, with the layout. How much of a, of a script do you have when, when you go sit down to work on a page? So um, the Tom Petty book I'm following in suit with uh, A Land Remembered, which was the graphic novel I adapted based off the actual novel by the same name. And in those instances, both the Tom Petty experience and with the land remembered, the scripts were the books. Okay. Um, I've got about four biographies of Tom Petty I'm pulling from, mostly from, uh, you know, uh, I'm pulling the inspiration from really. So mostly like, uh, you know, Warren Zane's book uh, and then Music Everywhere by Marty Gerard, who is, uh, you know, grew up and in, 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 was a musician in Gainesville like Tom Petty. Um, and actually went out west too and became a member of the motels. Uh, his brother, Jeff Gerard, uh, was in fact one of the very first early heartbreakers uh, in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers before they um, narrowed out the group a little bit. Um, but those biographies are really um, where I'm pulling uh, most of the information from. And as far as laying out the pages with every graphic novel that I personally illustrate, um, I always do thumbnails. So I have a book sitting next to me here that is just, um, you know, spiral bound uh, pages, uh, layouts of each one of the pages I'm gonna be drawing. And they're mostly just stick figures, just saying like, all right, in this panel, it's gonna be a long vertical panel, or this one's gonna be a, uh, you know, a fat, you know, square panel. And in it, we'll put like a couple little stick figure squigglies and that'll be the illustration. And those are my guidelines before I, uh, you know, uh, do the layout illustration roughs and then go over with them with ink. So I think that I've been following along some of the, the process picks that you, you've done while working on this. Um, and I, I think I've seen a lot of stuff uh, sort of either laid out or, or maybe digitally inked on an iPad. So are you, is, is that how you're, when you're getting to that stage, or are you doing digital art on an iPad? Matt, I'm having so much freaking fun with Procreate right now. <laughs> so uh -huh. my wife for uh, my combined Christmas and birthday present, which is, you know, Christmas and then immediately following my birthdays in January, she bought me a 12.9 iPad Pro and then I got Procreate. Um, sitting right here on my desk next to me is my Wacom tap, my Cintiq, and it's crying right now. I love her. She's great. She's my baby. Um, but, uh, you know, I... I wanted to be a little bit more mobile with the Tom Petty book because uh, I was, you know, I've been spending a lot of time back and forth in Gainesville and Savannah. And I go to Savannah, Gainesville a lot for inspiration uh, because that's where the book is being set. And, uh, you know, the, the iPad has just been super invaluable. If you had asked me 15 years ago while I was still in college at SCAD, um, if I would ever work digital, I would have told you, hell no, I'm a traditionalist. I only work with pen and ink and I want, I don't want to lose the, the feel of paper. And for, you know, um, a land remembered, I did work in completely traditional. Um, I inked it. I, I worked on bristle board. I brought it into digital just to do some cleanup and add the word box. But for the most part, that was all done digital, uh, done traditionally. But for, uh, you know, welcome to Dreamville, I just wanted to make sure that the, this graphic novel had a super clean, um, very graphic, very, uh, 
very detailed style to it. Um, I didn't want it to be so much woodcut carving um, that Elaine remembered was like, I wanted this to have that really vibrant, really, uh, you know, polished feel uh, to kind of mimic along with the clarity of the music and the scene at the time. Very nice. And so when you're going to Gainesville to, to get those trips for, for inspiration, are you, um, are you doing any sort of like uh, going to like a location that you want to use in the book and, and, you know, taking reference photos or is it, you know, to that extent with your, you know, getting inspiration or is it just sort of the go there and get the feel of everything? It's the go there to get the feel mostly, to be honest with you, because it's a sad thing to say, but my hometown is completely different, even within the time that I grew up there. Like when I was in Gainesville growing up in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, uh, it was a different world than it is now today in the 2020s. And it is definitely not the world that it was in the 1970s. Um, there's only a few places that are still standing that Tom Petty and, you know, Mike Campbell and the rest of them were actually hanging out at. Uh, most of the places have been demolished. They've been changed. They're long gone. But what I really go there for is, you know, I've met people who knew Tom Petty. I've spoken to other musicians. I've talked to people who are indirectly related or familiar to what's going on in that music scene. Um, and I'm also just talking and meeting people who grew up in Gainesville in the 70s. And that's all that really kind of helped me, uh, help the creative juices just flow and make sure that, you know, um, I'm, I'm keeping the, the flavor of Gainesville in that book. I wanna be able to tell people, yeah, good portion of this book was made on location, just like any, it's like the best movies are always made on location. Nice. And so you, you said how there's been a lot of changes in the, uh, the, the hometown in Gainesville. Um, and I, you know, this is the, the, the early story, story of Tom Petty. Um, and I'm sure he was photographed a lot more later in his career when he had the, you know, more success, but are you able to sort of Google image, um, you know, things uh, around this time frame to sort of get, get a feel that way? Uh, you know, Google hasn't been that great a resource. The best resource I've found for everything I've really needed, again, I, I've got to attribute it to uh, Marty Gerard. And, uh, you know, Marty is, uh, you know, phenomenal musician and writer and author himself, but he's also the curator of a Facebook group called the 60s and 70s Rock History of Gainesville or something of that relation. I, I have to look, it's a super long title, but uh, he is just sharing, uh, like his book called uh, Music Everywhere, which is also through the University Press uh, of Florida. Um, he's focusing on documenting uh, the music experience of Gainesville in the 60s and 70s because a lot of bands and a lot of musicians came from Gainesville, um, you know? And so, uh, you know, uh, Don Felder's from Gainesville, uh, Bernie Ledden's from Gainesville. These are early members of the Eagles. Uh, you know, a lot of different uh, people have uh, kind of been involved there. So he put together this Facebook group and it is a beast of uh, reference um, treasure because all of his friends and all these other musicians and all these other local, you know, uh, Gainesvillians have just kind of thrown in photographs that they've had in their, you know, bedroom closet for the past 40 years. And uh, you'll see pictures and visuals and images of not only Tom Petty and Mud Crutch, which was the name of his band before it became Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but, uh, you know, other musicians, other artists. Uh, 
One quick little thing, I'll, anecdotal story I'll share with you is that um, before Tom went out west, he actually went to California with uh, cassette tapes ready to play for the record agencies to actually get them to sign a record deal with him. Like he went knocking on doors at like Playboy Records and London Records and you know um, all the other big name titles just to try and get them to sign a deal for him. And uh, before he did that, he had the recorded demo tape. And uh, what they did is they hired this guy named Rick Reed who literally put together a recording studio out of his Econo Lodge van. And uh, they just ran the wiring into one of the band members' uh, uh, living rooms. And they did a recording out of this Econo Lodge van. The same level recording you might possibly be able to do on an iPhone now, they had to do with cables and recording devices. And so uh, I wanted to make sure I was looking for pictures. You know, I was like, there's no way, there's gotta be, at least a picture of Rick Reed that I can find, just so I can have reference to be able to illustrate him. And lo and behold, through this, you know, Facebook group, um, and I mean, usually Facebook groups really aren't all that great, in my personal opinion, but this one is phenomenal. There's a picture of Rick Reed pushing a recording device out of, you know, um, it was a reel-to-reel recorder pushing it right next to his freaking Econo uh, van. So uh, I was like, this is gold, this is treasure. Like. I could have Googled and looked for hours and probably never have found anything, but it was in that group because people are dedicated to it. Um, the group's got thousands of followers and fans, it's active. And it's just like I'm talking to the people of the seventies uh, right through um, social media. Very nice. So awesome. you, you had mentioned that uh, one of the, your favorite scenes was, was taken from a lyric. Um, so do you, are you do you actively listen to to Tom Petty while while you're while you're drawing it or is it a point where you you need to listen to something else to to get into a <laughs> mindset or are you just are you do you just like white noise to to get uh, to get in the creative mood Oh god I mean I have now been for the past maybe year and a half um eating sleeping drinking breathing Tom Petty so he's really <laughs> the only person I'm listening to. My wife is so sick and tired of it. She's like, you need to get with some more of like modern pop music, like listen to something new, like change it up, like listen to more some Sylvan and Esso or listen to some XX or something, you know, like, like I, it's always Tom Petty all the time in my car and in the studio. Um, usually when I'm drawing, I'm watching movies or TV shows because I need that, um, kind of that narrative element in the background, not necessarily to pay attention to, but just something that's kind of keeping the tempo. It's almost like my metronome in the background. Mm -hmm. um, but on the car rides in between, you know, places I go, I'm still listening to Tom Petty and I love the music. I, I didn't grow up on Tom Petty. I only knew his most popular songs, but I really cultivated a love for his, his music because it's very, very much of a storyteller of music. There's a lot to his songs that really tell a story about who he is and about who his fellow band members are. Um, a lot of them had a hand in the writing process. So you, you get a lot of flavor of their experience of being small town Southern boys who made it big out West. And uh, I, I'm forever going to be a huge Tom Petty so, uh, fan, but I am kind of looking forward to the day that um, 
I can kind of wrap it up here and listen to some other music because it does keep me motivated to push forward with Tom Petty. But um, I, you know, have other projects that aren't related to rock stars. So it'd be nice to kind of filter into a different song. I usually love to kind of live that music while I'm doing those books. So when I did A Land Remembered, which was about pioneers of Florida, I listened to a ton of bluegrass music. Uh, again, which killed my wife. And she's a big music connoisseur, but I think she wants me to do like, I don't know, maybe a, I don't know, maybe like a Rob Thomas graphic novel or something next. I don't know, but uh, definitely need to switch up the music soon. The uh, the guy from Matchbox Twenty. Yeah, I mean, I know she's a fan of him, but I mean, maybe somebody else too. I'm trying to think. Oh, like maybe Chris Caraba from you know um, Dashboard Confessionals. That's her favorite musician. Cool. Um, so you had mentioned that this is uh, being published through the the University of Florida Press. Um, so. Does that give you the ability to to advertise it? Uh, and I don't know if this is something that you know right now, but does that does that give you the opportunity to to um, uh, let Diamond know that it's uh, a graphic novel that's available? Uh, how how will that work? Well, you know, the, I'm in an interesting situation again, where it was an, a situation that I was hoping to kind of um, platform away from, but it's actually a really great situation to be in at the same time. So my first book that I ever published was called The Reaper of St. George Street, which was a graphic novel about ghost hunters in Florida. Um, in that way, in some ways, a lot of my books are focused in Florida and I call it the M. Night Shyamalan complex. Like all of his movies are filmed in and around like Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. all my graphic novels are like illustrated and written around Florida in some instance. Um, mm -hmm. But that first book was with a publisher called Pineapple Press, which was a 30 year old publisher who had never published a graphic novel before. So in many ways, I was not only an author under their, their publishing company, but I was also kind of their educator into the world of graphic novels. Um, and in the way with the University Press of Florida, um, I'm, humbled and, uh, I'm humbled and honored to be able to say that this is their first foray into graphic novels as well. So, uh, you know, I'm getting to work really closely with an editor, um, uh, she's great. Uh, but, you know, graphic novels is a new medium for her. So uh, I don't know really the distribution aspect of this is going to be yet. Uh, we definitely will talk about that. And, you know, if, if it's Diamond, yeah, it might be somebody different. Um, you know, the way that distribution is going around now, there's a lot of new players. So um, it might be something I talk with them. They might have ideas for that. Um, I don't want to come into the room and pretend I'm the, I'm the hotshot that knows everything about comic distribution. But I'll, I'll share with them my thoughts and I'm sure they will do the best they can uh, and they'll know what to do. So ultimately for the book. In a lot of ways, once it has Tom Petty's name on it, you know, I, I don't think the distribution is going to be a problem there. Tom Petty has one of the most avid following like, you know, fans in the world. So I think, you know, the book will do its job. Yeah, and I would think, you know, there would be the, you know, this is just sort of, you know, brainstorming here, but I would think even like the crossover um, to like to, and these are sort of going, or probably are having hard times like comic book shops, but, you know, like a, like an independent record store, it would be oh, something yeah. to be really cool to put in there. I mean, we have a place up here in Baltimore that's Atomic Books, that's half of it is a comic book store 
and then there's a small hallway and then there's a record shop like right next to it. So like something like that would be amazing for, for a project like this. Yeah, there's a place just like that here in Savannah too. That's both like a comic book store, a comic book store and a record store. And I haven't been in it since it started selling comics. I've only been in it when it was a record store. Um, but uh, no, I think you're right. I, I think there's a great opportunity there to market the book through record stores. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that this is coming along right at the time that, you know, we're seeing an upswing of, you know, hopefully the pandemic coming to an end mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, this is a chance for me to, you know, pound the pavement and get out there and uh, shake hands, you know, from a social distant aspect uh, and really get this book uh, out there. I, I really don't want to see this book come out while we're still all kind of socially distanced because like music, it's best shared um, with people, a lot of people. Very nice, and that, and that hopefully that, you know, like you said, with the vaccine, you know, that, that festival would almost be like a, a yearly celebration where you, you know, you can um, have the book and you just sort of share it and, and you know, introduce fans to, to it that way. Jason has been a really big supporter and fan of what we've been doing. And he's even told me recently, he was like, yeah, man, you know, this past year they had to do the Tom Petty birthday bash through Sirius XM, which is great. Hey, if it's Sirius XM, everybody knows that. Um, so they actually hosted it virtually, but I think the hope is to bring, again, I don't know anything about what's going on, but I think the hope is to bring the festival back um, to being a public event, maybe in uh, the next year or two. Um, so hopefully around that time, the book will be out and I would love to share it with Tom Petty's fans directly. It's a very nice. Dream. Yeah. It would be a dream in Dreamville. <laughs> so, um, when you were, uh, writing, um, and, and drawing the book, were you consulting other sort of musical graphic novels? Like, the ones that like I'm thinking of like you know like there's like the fifth beetle which is sort of oh, it's about yeah. it's not about the Beatles it's about like you know uh the uh Epstein I can't remember his first name um and then I know like Charles Soule wrote you know a couple of, of books about music and things like that are, are you consulting anything there or are you just like no that's gonna affect how I draw this and sort of take away from my style um when I well no, or, it was or, yeah. really it was really important to me, Noah, to actually um, know what came before. So, okay. um, you know, Bowie, there was a graphic novel that came out about Bowie recently. Um, yeah. It was done through Insight Comics, beautifully done comic, kind of has the old feel of like an old vintage comic series, um, but done in a very almost just straight, not even dialogue, almost all caption boxes. Um, and that was one way that I saw a graphic novel done. It was almost done as a historical documentation with just sequential art added in. And it wasn't bad. Insight did a beautiful job on it. Um, and the, you know, the team that the creative team that put it together was great, but it, it showed me in one instance that a graphic novel could go down the very linear straight path of saying, here's a biography done in an illustration style. Um, one of the very first graphic novel, music focused graphic novels I read was, um, I think Baby in Black, which was put out through first second. And that's about the fifth Beatle. Um, and that was a great graphic novel. Uh, I read that, that was more done as kind of a, uh, almost like a dramatic telling of the Beatles when they were still grow uh, still out. And I think in, in Germany at that time. Uh, and then I also read, uh, there was a graphic novel about Queens 
but it was actually written through the fans, a fan's perspective. Um, so uh, I read those and I really didn't read them in the fact of what I was gonna say like, okay, well, mine's gonna be like these or mine won't be like these. It really was just a matter of saying like what can and has been done with rock stars respectfully that I can take from. Um, because just to make sure that, you know, this isn't an official graphic novel on Tom Petty. I mean, we haven't been approved by, you know, the Tom Petty estate to write his actual biography. But, you know, this is a graphic novel that, you know, as a public figure, it's just like any author would write about a public figure. But I wanted to see just how has that been done in other avenues. So um, I relied heavily on a lot of those biographies. And I'm also, you know, a fan of Z2 Comics. That publishing company puts out a lot of great graphic novels that are, um, you know, either inspired by music or, um, you know, directly written about musicians. They put out a great graphic novel about um, The Grateful Dead. Um, again, read it, didn't tell me, okay, this is how I'm gonna do it, but it showed me just how the dialogue flowed when writing about, you know, the famous uh, band members of that group. So it's, it's good, it's a good education, but none of it has influenced 100% this book. That's awesome, yeah. And I, I always wondered that about creators because like um, I, we've had a couple of people here on, you know, the podcast. And then I've spoken to people who are, you know, actors and like, you know, do theater and stuff like that. And I always wonder about just how much does that distract, you know, either watching someone else's performance or someone else tackle a similar subject, you know, how much do you have to separate yourself from all that, you know, so that you don't, you know, like you don't end up uh, like, uh, uh, I guess like, um, uh, somehow like you know copying them accidentally you know that kind of thing right. and, and and it's sort of cool to sort of have like for you to have that understanding of your style to be like I know like my own limits that kind of thing and uh, I, I know I won't rip anybody off <laughs> that kind of thing push it yeah. you push it too hard then you're going to be spending your whole time trying to not make it like everyone else's and if you're doing that you're gonna bomb because yeah. you're gonna be, you're gonna hit a roadblock. You're gonna be like, oh my god, I, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like that. Oh my god, how do I keep it from being like all these people? And then you're just floundering in the water, trying to make it different, and it's going against the grain. So you know, yeah, the best way to do it is just take a little from everyone. Um, you know, don't carbon copy it. Don't um, necessarily, you know, um, even reflect or emulate what other people have done. But just say, okay, this is how it was done. I like a little of that, I'm gonna take a little of that. Like how this is done, maybe we'll show a little of something like that. Um, and that's kind of helped me to, to keep the, the gas in the engine and keep the, you know, the proverbial car on the road. And, um, you know, I think that that's done in any situation. I mean, musicians, um, you know, sampling or, or being inspired by musicians before them is what keeps them going. Um, artists are inspired by other artists. Um, as long as you keep that as the ideology, um, it's okay, you know, to, to take a little bit of that flavor and add it to your own. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. So you had said earlier that, uh, you had a couple of projects that are in various states. It seems like this one is, uh, in, in the, you know, the, the drawing stage. Uh, how do you handle multiple projects in, in different stages? Uh, do, do you have a plan or is it sort of like, deadlines, uh, self-imposed deadlines or whatever sort of 
uh, mood strikes you that like, uh, I want to, I want to pick up this project or I have an idea that's going to help me work on this project. How, how do you handle multiple projects? So when I was doing Simon Says as a writer, I was also illustrating a land remembered at the same time. Um, and I was definitely afraid that I was going to screw both of them up in one way or the other. Like I was either going to shortchange Simon Says as writing because I'm busy illustrating a land remembered, or I was going to rush a land remembered because I was too busy focusing on editing uh, Jesse Lee's work uh, while he was doing Simon Says. And I am somebody who was diagnosed at a super young age from having ADD. Um, and somehow miraculously, I think that working on the same projects at the same time kind of helped cancel out any sort of drag um, that I might have. So, uh, you know, with Tokyo Rose, I was also in the early stages of uh, uh, Welcome to Dreamville and doing both of them at the same time allowed me to bounce back and forth. And um, at the same time, I do keep a track I do set myself deadlines, both personal and, you know, professionally with the editors um, or with the Kickstarter, you know, team. But, uh, you know, that combination of being able to bounce back and forth helps me keep fresh on both fronts. And I, I read an article, or not maybe even an article, maybe I was just bored one night and I was trying to get to sleep. And I think I read that Steven Spielberg was working on Schindler's List and Schindler's List got to be so dark and heavy for him that he would take breaks to work on pre-production for Jurassic Park. And that was able to um, re-energize him to go back into the trenches on working on this gut-wrenching Holocaust film by able to kind of platform away and work on this sci-fi, you know, um, adventure. And neither one of those films were shortchanged by each other. So um, I kind of take that as a sign that um, I'm on the right path if I if I can do the same thing. Except for the scene where the dinosaur started like barging through a black and white, you know, uh, World War II setting. That that always gets me out of that movie. You know, it's just yeah, the Velociraptors, you know, come and uh, you know eat all the Nazis. If we were lucky, that would have happened. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I they... mean, I, I so I kind of disagree with you there. But no, that's a very good example. <laughs> um, no, I, that's a very good example because uh, we, we were talking with someone last night about that too, about just sort of how the uh, oftentimes the act of creating art is sort of a cathartic experience in, in some way or another for something that you're going through, but it can be like cathartic experiences for multiple things at once, you know? Um, okay. And uh, even in the process of like writing something that deals with sort of like a heavier subject like World War II for you with Tokyo Rose and then maybe dealing with something a little more hopeful and, uh, you know, uh, like, like with Tom Petty, that, that, that has to be a, a nice balance of things. It is. And I'll also say personally, I, I'm kind of a, I can be an anxious person too. So if I'm only working on one project, I'm going to be thinking about the five other projects I should be working on. So if I've got two projects at the same time, as long as I keep a good pace, you know, it kind of keeps me focused and keeps my anxiety level down. Um, and so in that way, it's uh, not only cathartic, but it's, therape it's therapeutic for sure, um, to be able to, to bounce back and forth. And I really, really am um, proud of myself for being able to multitask like that because, uh, you know, both, I'm, I'm proud of both The Land Remembered and Simon Says, 
I'm also proud of the work we did on Tokyo Rose. Uh, I think Kate Casanow did a beautiful job of illustrating it. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely proud of the upcoming Tom Petty book because, uh, you know, they're both just crafting at the pace that they crafted at. And uh, it's, it's something I'm learning as I go. Very nice. So I know personally for me, the way that I'm keeping up with this project is, is through the, the Facebook group that you have, the, the Welcome to Dreamville Facebook group. Is, would that be at this point the best way for, for people to, to follow along and, and see what's going on? Yeah, welcome to the, the, the Dreamville Facebook group's a great place. I have been doing um, interviews and posting on there. Uh, I'm also, you know, sharing uh, art behind the scenes. Uh, the other way you can keep in, uh, track of me, it won't be as um, uh, comprehensive as the Facebook group, but if some of you out there are not fans of Facebook anymore, uh, Instagram, I am posting regularly uh, pictures I'm working on there. So right now, all of it's in the line art stage. So you're just going to see a bunch of black and white line art. Uh, but once the colors come in, we'll be posting those as well. And uh, you can follow along. My, my handle on Instagram is Arf, uh, at Arf Studios. That's A-R-F-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. And, uh, you know, drop me a line if you're a Tom Petty fan and, and be happy to see what you think. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put links to the to the Facebook page. Like I said, I know that that's really um, where I see a lot of sort of the progress picks. And like I said earlier um, in the interview, uh, I, I kind of had an idea that you were working digitally on the iPad. I think there was like a really nice photo of you sort of sitting in your backyard um, on a sunny day and you sort of had the iPad next to you. So that does speak to the uh, the mobility that the iPad gives you. Yeah, I actually invested in another little fun thing, and I'll give a free plug to them, but if anybody else out there is a fan of the iPad, the Sketchboard Pro um, is uh, something that this was crowdfunded, and it is like a, a drawing board that you can slap your iPad into, and it's almost like you're drawing on, a, on essentially a drawing pad. It gives you full mobility of the arm, um, and that uh, combined is really just made me a mobile artist. Before I had to be, if I was gonna work digitally, I had to be slave to my MacBook tied into my Cintiq and I'd be sitting in my room and bent over a stool and killing my back. But now I can put it into this you know, pad and wander around town and, and jam out to music anywhere. Uh, it's helped because right now with the pandemic and everybody being isolated, I spent the first good seven or eight months of lockdown in this office. And uh, I love my studio, I'm lucky to have this glad my wife didn't you know turn it into a, a gym or something but uh you know i just I, i'm ready to see more than just four walls and get out there and see a little sunlight and get some vitamin d awesome well we're going to put a link to that facebook page and, and to your instagram in, in the show notes so so people can uh check in and, and see how the the project's going along um and you know we'd love to to have you on um, when there's more sort of uh, news um, with with the book, you know, coming out and stuff like that, so so you have an open invite uh, for that. Oh, great! Because I love we're, I love chatting with you guys. This is uh, just like the last time, you know. I mean, it's uh, always fun to hear your guys' questions and, and ch chat and just talk comics. So, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to coming back. Awesome. So uh, I'll just I'll just pose sort of a hypothetical question on the on the way out. If there was another musical 
um, biography that you wanted to do as a graphic novel. Um, do you, do you, is there is there another artist you'd like to tackle? Oh, God, that is a phenomenally good question. And I, I really can't, oh, if I had to pick, I mean, just off the top of my head, like a, a band that comes to mind, um, maybe Modest Mouse. I think they would be fun. Um, I've read stories about, you know, about uh, that guy and uh, it's crazy. And I've been told my sister, who's a huge Modest Mouse fan said he hated Florida. I think he even wrote a song like crapping on Florida. So it might be fun, like, mm -hmm. uh, like economy, the economy to kind of like swap it up and do a graphic novel with a guy who doesn't like Florida and about his experience uh, playing here. Uh, that might be a fun one. And I know as soon as we're done signing off, I'm like, crap, why didn't I say that band? Because there's <laughs> so much good bands out there. I would love to do anything. But what I really like to do, if I'm gonna do another music novel is I'd like to work with a musician. I mean, obviously and sadly, I can't work with Tom because he passed away, but um, I would love the opportunity to do a biography with the musician present so I can, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth because it's really, it's hard for me because as a, as a historian in me, doesn't want to, doesn't want to over glorify or overstate or um, pick up more on the mythos, you know? Uh, storytelling is, is kind of a balance of being honest and truthful and, um, you know, being fantastical at the same time. Uh, and I, I really had to walk that tightrope with Tom Petty because my goal was really to make sure that this, I knew I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna have a lot of people who grew up in the seventies and are familiar with Gainesville and knew the scene that are gonna read this book and come back to me and go like, that's not how it happened. And I'm gonna have to explain to them. I was like, I understand that that's not how it happened, but you're talking about something that happened 40 years ago with an artist and writer who wasn't born until almost 20 years after you guys had your thing there. So, you know, you have to understand I'm building this off of fragmented writing mm -hmm. um, and fragmented documentation. But I think that, you know, on the way out the door, the most important thing to me, no matter who I work a book on a graphic novel about, whether it's, you know, Vampire Weekend or, Modest Mouse or Depeche Mode or whoever, um, I like to work with the musicians to make sure that I get a truthful interpretation. Awesome, that would be cool. I don't normally ask questions of, of Noah, but uh, Noah, do you, do you have, I think I might know your answer, but do, do you have a band you would like to do a uh, graphic novel about? I, I still, I mean, it's sort of like, I love what the Allreds did with their Bowie uh, their Bowie graphic novel, but I, I would still love to just do another a Bowie graphic novel, I think. But but who did you think That's I was gonna say, Matt? I, I I was I was I was thinking you were gonna say Bowie. Oh good. I'm glad you know me I that well. I agree with Noah. Bowie there needs to be something more out and right field with his graphic novel. I think it was a very, you know, it was a truthful interpretation. And in that instance, that's where I think it needs to get a little more fantastical. So I love to see a Bowie graphic novel where they just let it rip, yeah. you know, and it's just like weird and funky and like, holy crap, they did that kind of a thing. Like it needs to be a little bit more off the cuff. Yeah, it needs to be, it just needs to be like abstract, like his videos were. That's just how it has to be, you know, for me. Um, I, but, but Matt, who, who are you thinking Afghan wigs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, I think, 
I, I it would be Afghan wigs for me, which is a which is a strange uh, uh, strange choice. Um, but I, I there was a there was a thirty three and a third book um, published about the the gentleman album they did, and there's a story. Um, and Andre, I don't know how familiar you are with with this band. They're sort of like an early '90s uh, grunge band that then took this sort of Motown sort of uh, jazzy swing towards the end. Um, okay. But uh, the the lead singer um, they they recorded the album in Memphis, and the lead singer had gone out to a uh, to a strip club, and he had brought uh, a stripper home. And he was trying to impress her, and he went into the uh, he went into the recording booth, and he started singing. Um, and in the middle of this album, that's sort of the there's sort of a total shift in the in the singing, which the story will fill in why it is. But he was he was uh, having a good evening, so he had had a lot to uh, to party on. And the the guy who was recording the album woke up and he heard all this going on. So he walked in and he flipped the the record um, on, on the you know the the booth and basically he rattled off like three or four songs in a row, just drunk, um, trying to impress the stripper. And those are the actual vocals that they they use on the uh, on the album. And in the, in the middle, the middle it gets a little loose and it's not as uh, it's not as like, uh, it was never really cleaned and polished, but sort of in the middle, it's a little hectic. And when you read the story, you figure out that why that sort of middle of the album takes that sort of uh, swing. So yeah, I would like to do an Afghan wigs uh, uh, biography. Man, that is so awesome. Yeah, I want to read that graphic you know, novel now. You got to send me that link. I want to I listen to that song, so. Yeah, I, I'll send you. And now said all that i realized who i would want to do a graphic novel about. yeah jimmy buffett i want to do a graphic novel about jimmy buffett preferably with jimmy buffett but that would be my next graphic novel project awesome well i'm glad uh, that happens yeah i'm glad it also we we talked it through enough for you to to remember or have the the spark of inspiration for for the next one yeah but send me that audio i want to hear that because a drunk guy trying to oppress the stripper that sounds like that would just be audio gold to listen to. So, especially yeah. in 2021. Yeah, I'll 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 do that for you. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks 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 for being on. Um, it's really great, and uh, let's let's catch up soon when there's when there's more news on this. I definitely will. Thank you guys. Have a great night and uh, take care. Awesome. Thanks. For, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on social media. Twitter is at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod. And Facebook is Constructing Comics. Uh, thanks for listening. Please be nice to each other, be safe, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.